If you will take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, I need you. What a great message today. Today we're going to finish chapter 2. And I'm just going to tell you that we knew this. I knew this when we started through the Revelation. We'll probably not, probably not get to chapter 3 until after the first of the year. Next two weeks are special speakers, and then we're into Christmas. And so we knew that when you embark on a study like Revelation, that's 22 chapters, is that you can't get it all fitted in before something comes up. And so uh, we will finish chapter 2 today with this church, and then we'll pick up down the road with the uh, chapter 3, the church at Sardis. Revelation chapter 2. Back in, back in 2006, not 19, back in 2006, Deborah and I bought a house just outside of, uh, of Birmingham where we were living and serving. And when we bought the house, we knew that we were going to have to put about fifteen or $20,000 in it to make it what we wanted. The main focus of our attention was the kitchen and literally the refrigerator was over here and it needed to be over there. The dishwasher was here and it needed to be over there by the... I mean, just it was all kind of... A, for us, it was a mess. And so a couple of friends in the church and I, we um, uh, all got together, ladies and men and what have you, and we took the kitchen out down to the studs. Now, it was a good thing we did because there was something that we didn't know. When we removed the sink and the plumbing... <clears throat> Um, we discovered uh, some problems. This house had not been built on a foundation. Very few over in that area are because of the mountains. Built, raised up, so it had a, it had a, uh, um, wasn't a basement. It was just an, an under uh, part. But when we took that plumbing out, we discovered that evidently over a long period of time, there had been a slow, steady leak. And so the floor was rotted. And then we got down under there, rent, and the seal was rotted. So now most of the men here who do construction, you know what we had to do. We had to take off all the rotten material because you can't build with rotten material. You take it all the way back to where you found healthy board and you could scab onto it to make it firm. We had to take away the rotten Material and put healthy material there. Well, you know, now most of us know, most of us know about rotten material, but I will just tell you that I put the term rot or rotten in the thesaurus in the computer, and I came back with things like decay, deterioration, corrosion, and even corruption. Corrupted. Now, most of us understand this term corrupted. We know what it means. We know it all too well. We find corruption in all kinds of places. Already I've mentioned that it's in construction when you build houses. Corrupted stuff, corroded stuff, decayed, deteriorated stuff. But, you know, you also find it in medicine. Pointing at my partner over here that I know she's a, she deals in this every day. You know, you think you're doing good. And then you go to the doctor who takes a picture and finds 
something going on in there that you didn't have a clue was going on. Because you see, corrosion, corruption, decay, normally starts on the inside when you don't know what's going on. But it happens in medicine. It happens in politics. Hello? I'm just going to let that lay. You'll understand what I'm saying. It happens in government. Nobody, everybody thinks everything's okay, and then they do those nasty little audits, and they discover corruption. It happens in churches and in the lives of people who profess to be Christians. Now, mind you, nobody, entity, or individual intends to be corrupted. Generally, it starts off very slow, very gradual. There's a little compromise here. And by the way, we talked last week about the compromise church at Pergamum. Little compromise, but compromise very rarely is stagnant. Generally, it's growing, organic. And the truth is, is that as we walk through our churches, when I look at the church at Thyatira today, the church at Thyatira is one that I'm going to call the corrupted church. So if you found Revelation 2, if you, will, if you can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? If you can't, it'll be okay. Revelation 2, picking up verse 18, reading to the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking, and he says to John, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze or brass. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than your first. This translation says, but I have this against you. Most of them say, I have some things against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look. I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of their works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works 
to the end. I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. If you will, Mitch, just leave that up there as we pray, please. Heavenly Father, your word is so convicting and it's so encouraging at the same time. But I pray that today that we will see the lessons that you want us to learn from this church at Thyatira who you were trying to turn around, trying to get them to root out the corruption and the corroded part of their fellowship so that they could be your people. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I asked him to leave that up there because I think I need to point out once again that there is that irritating statement. Did you read it? Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Would you read that much with me? If anyone has ears to hear, listen. You know, I I dare say that the heartache of most pastors is that they preach and they, they pray and they get God's word and they preach and then they walk out and people go, that's a good message. But you don't really feel like anybody listened, really listened. Because when you listen, it evolves a life change. Thank you. You can go forward now. I want to just draw your attention back to verse 18 if you still have your Bibles open. I want you to see how Jesus identifies himself to this church. And I want to draw your attention that every time he identifies himself to a church, seven times, he does it a little differently. And he identifies himself in a way that speaks to the problems that they have. To Ephesus, at the beginning of the chapter, he said he's the one that holds the seven stars in his hand and walks among the golden lampstands. You know what he's telling them? He's telling them, buddy, I am there walking among you, so I know what I'm talking about when I tell you that you've lost, left, and abandoned your first love. To Smyrna, he said, I am the first and the last, the dead and alive. That was important to Smyrna Because Smyrna was the one that was being beaten up all the time, confronted all the time. Last week, to Pergamum, he said he had a sword coming from his mouth because it was the truth of God's Word that were going to set them free and set them right. And now to this church, Thyatira, the corrupted church, whose corruption was hidden from view. Did you get that? Their corruption was hidden from view. He said, man, let me tell you who I am. I'm the son of God. I'm the one that has fiery eyes. If everybody wasn't here for for the scripture and don't know the scripture, back in the first part of chapter 1, when they got a vision of Jesus, he had fiery eyes and had feet of pure brass or bronze. The fiery eyes reminds us that he can look through your heart. He can look through who you are. He knows that word that you said. He knows that attitude you carry. He knows that sin that you harbor. He knows it. 
He can look there and he can see it. And then those feet of bronze, that's, that means that he can judge it. He's the righteous judge. He can judge it. The message today from this church, from this church, from this message, are you listening? You can run from Jesus, but you can't hide. You can do whatever you want to. You can do your own thing. You can go your own way. You can have your own own life. And you can run, but you can't hide. And so in terms of this church, this corrupted church, I'm going to give you three thoughts. I know you open your bulletin, and I know there's a lot of blanks there. In fact, somebody said, are we taking a midterm test today? I'm not going to tell you his name, but his initials are Todd Pounds is the one that said that, all right? There are some things that if you'll write these down and take them home and study them, I believe that they'll come alive to you. The first thing I want you to see is the reality, the reality of the corrupted church. Now, you know what reality is? Our teenagers like going, be real, boy. Be real. That's what reality is. Just being real. How it is. Don't, don't put it under any kind of cloak. Just speak it like it is. It would do us well, even here, let alone there, to do a reality check. We need to know what our strength is. We need to know what our weaknesses are. We need to know where we are in the body of Christ. We need to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. The reality was they were literally, they were literally a corrupted church. Now, let me just give you two or three things. These almost hurt. First of all, externally, they looked good. Externally, they looked good. You see, when people looked from the outside, when those who were just had a cursory look of it, everybody thought they were good. Everybody thought this was a church who was happening. In fact, you go through all seven churches in chapter 2 and 3, every one of them looked good from the outside. But Jesus, sometimes but Jesus is good. Sometimes but Jesus is not good. But Jesus found us in our sin. That's good. But Jesus saw our sin and we're running from it. That's not good. We think we're doing good and he sees the truth. But Jesus with those pesky eyes of fire, the one who sees all, saw this church at the core. Let me just pause there and make a personal observation. This Jesus with those pesky eyes of fire, he looks through every individual person. You can try to fool everybody. You can try to pull the wool over everybody. I mean, we, we're good. Folks, we're good at putting on a front. We're good at pulling the wool over people's eyes. We're good at putting on a good show. It's human nature. We know how to do it. These guys, man, they were busy. They had a lot of activities going on. They were doing a lot of good stuff. And, and they thought they had people fooled. And maybe they did have people fooled, but this person who's talking now is not people. It's Jesus. It doesn't matter how good we think we are if we're not walking with Jesus, if we're not fulfilling Jesus' mission, we're in trouble. 
Jesus knew them from the inside out. He knows us the same way. Externally, they look good, this corrupt church. Internally, they were corrupt. They were godless. When Jesus looked inside this church, he saw what no one else wanted to see. That they had replaced truth, the truth of God, with a pack of lies. Now, here it had the lies of a woman. This woman resembled a gal in the Old Testament that we know as Jezebel. Anybody ever heard that name before? Old Jezzy? Do you know why there is no woman named Jezebel today? I mean, which one of you are going to have a, this, a new baby and go, oh, this is Jezebel for sure? And we laugh because we know how wicked Jezebel was. I have a book on the shelf of my office. Deborah and I were coming home to mom and dad's from Hueytown, Alabama. We stopped in Tuscaloosa to get a uh, um, to get some gas and walked in there in that little bookshelf in there. Who had ever thought there'd been a good book in Tuscaloosa, Alabama? Anybody? No, I'm kidding. But there was a book in there entitled Confronting Jezebel. I picked it up and asked Deborah to drive the rest of the way, and I read the whole thing. And it's about confronting the spirit of Jezebel when it infects your church family. Because Jezebel had come into this fellowship at Thyatira, and, and she wanted to teach. And they, evidently they go, yeah, that's fine. And, and so she came in and she taught them about her immorality. She taught them about the, her idolatry, which was this eating meat actual, uh, offered to other gods. They were tolerating her. They, they were putting up with her. The old King James says they were suffered her, whatever that means. It's likely they thought they were doing good by not stopping her, by not standing up to her. And so now her doctrine that it started so small was now encompassed in the church. You see, it does matter what you believe. It does matter what you teach. It does matter what the Scripture says. It does matter. <laughs> Michael Jackson, anybody remember that name? Michael Jackson, when he first started, he... He made popular a song, One Bad Apple Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch Girl. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole batch. And there's not a cook in this room who would argue with that. All it takes is one wrong ingredient or one bad ingredient, and you've got to throw the whole mess out. Could I get an Amen. And it's the same way in the Lord's house. It's the same way in the Lord's house. Internally, they were godless because they let her run wild. Now, I want you to hang on what I'm about to tell you because I believe that I can prove this biblically. You don't find it with a cursory reading. 
The reality was they were externally they looked good, internally they were godless, and fraternally they were fractured. Now, this fraternally or fraternal or fraternity, we don't use that much except when we go to college. But you know what the truth is? Is that in a fraternity, people agree and they walk together. I'm I'm pulling this out because you have these folks who are following Jezebel over here, and then you kind of get down to uh, uh, verse 24. It says, "I say this to the rest of you." Obviously, they were fractured. Obviously, they were not together. And my mind goes to Amos chapter three, where it says, "Are you listening? Can two walk together unless they are agreed?" You know what all this mess reminds me of? This church, this reality of, of this church that externally they looked good, internally they didn't look so good, and fraternally they were fractured. You know what it reminds me of? When our kids were small, we, went, we took a trip to Orlando, Florida, to MGM Studios. Now, I'm not asking how many of you have been, and I'm not going to ask you to hold up fingers how many times you've been, because some of you have to stick your feet in here because you've been there so often, okay? We went to MGM Studios, and on this one tour, it could have been Catastrophe Mountain, but I'm not going to say Irv. But anyway, we rode on this ride, and we drove down a street. And on both sides were the most beautiful houses that you've ever seen. I mean, they're just picturesque. And then they drove you around back, and they were never finished. All it was is the front, the facade. It was used to TVs. So, you know, when they do that little picture and little slowly uh, uh, zoom in, that it looked good. But all it was was a facade. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he speaks to this church. My mom used to say this. Duty is skin deep, ugliest to the bone. And Jesus says to this church, here's the reality. I know. I know. I know your works whether they're good or whether they're bad. I know your service, whether it's good or bad. I know your motivation, whether it's good or whether it's bad. I know your faithfulness, whether it's good or whether it's bad. I know your endurance, whether it's good or bad. Here's what I want you to know is that I know. I don't know about you. But even as I was studying and preparing for this message, that kind of hit me between the eyes, fresh and new, that he knows. He knows our attitudes. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows our hearts. He knows our works. Today, he knows. That's their reality. They're found out. So I'm moved from the reality of this corrupted church. And I'm just going to say this to you. 
God's first action to any of us when we mess up or we become corrupted or compromised, his first action is redemption, not condemnation. That's what he wants to do. That's what he did here. He gave them a chance. So I want you to see now the refusal. The refusal by this corrupted church. With God wanting to redeem them. With God having redemption hands reaching to them. They chose not to. Look down here. They chose, let me just say this, they chose sin over repentance. He says, I gave her time to repent. But she does not want to repent. Jesus caught them. He saw them. And he gave them a chance to turn back to him, just like he does us, but they didn't want to. And it's sad to say, if you get upset at me, it's fine. It's sad to say that we are living in a day and age when people are so in love with their sin that they don't want to turn back. They'd rather hang on to their sin. And not all of those folks are out there, brothers and sisters. The attitude is, preacher, you just keep preaching. Hell is hot. Sin is bad. Heaven is wonderful. And I'll keep doing what I want, like I want, when I want, and it'll be okay in the end. The only problem with that is, you can't line that up with this book. Because Jesus' first words, his first sermon was repent. John the Baptist's first word was repent. Peter at Pentecost's first word was repent, turn back. But they chose their sin over repentance. They also chose immorality, immorality over immortality. Immorality over immortality. Now, I could, I could really stay here a long time today. I'm, I'm real surprised these days now that I'm an old man. Things that keep coming back to me that... that, that really nail down these points. For instance, this choice goes back as far as the Garden of Eden. Do you realize that? Adam and Eve threw away immortality for a piece of fruit, and they had to be disobedient to God. You see, here in, here in Thyatira, they were in love with their sin of immorality. Years ago, there was an evangelist that produced a sermon. He preached it, and then he put it out on print. It was called, It's Sex O'Clock in America. Our country oozes with immorality. Sex sells everything. And by the way, don't you dare put any controls on my sex life. I can, I can have sex with who I want how I want, where I want, and if I have to kill a baby in the process, it doesn't matter. That's our culture. Voted Tuesday to affirm that culture. And I'm going to pass that point before I really make people mad. It's still God's Word, but when we make a conscious choice to be immoral, we have made a conscious choice to evoke the wrath of God. Ruth Graham, wife of Billy, said years ago, God's going to either have to judge America 
or apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be. It will be. It is coming. They chose immorality over immortality, and they also chose death over life. I don't know about you, but when I look in the Scripture here, verse 22, look. Now, she's already refused to repent. Look, I would throw, I would throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Does that get anybody's attention? This is Jesus speaking. No repentance. Judgment's coming. Do you know what we forget? Those who don't believe God will do that. Listen, do you know what we forget? We forget that the entire Old Testament is a poster teaching us that God can and will use bad people and bad things to get His people to return to Him. I don't believe that, Brother Jerry. Well, all that tells me when you tell me that is that you've never read the Bible. And why does that happen? Look at there, verse 23, I will strike her children dead. And here's, what, here's the reason. Then all the churches will know that I, Jesus, am the one who examines minds and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. The corrupted church choose, chose back then and chooses today to do wrong. It's eaten up with pride, and God resists the proud. The refusal. Finally, how about the response within the corrupted church? You know, one of the things you need to make note of is that in this corrupted church, there's still a group of people who really love and serve and do their best to follow God. How do I know this? I didn't think you'd ever ask. Scoot down to verse 24. It says, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan. See, they had taught that this was a secret. This was a secret. This was a secret theology. That's probably what Jezebel was teaching. And he goes, man, I, to the rest of you, I'm not putting any more burden on you. I just want you to come to me. And if you'll come to me, I'm going to give you three things that, that will happen. First of all, the sinner will be exposed. The sinner will be exposed. He says, I will give to you according to your works. There are people who have said to me before, man, I, I, I don't want to be saved. I want, I want justice. I want justice. Just tell you something. Of all the things you want in this life and the life to come... You don't want justice. You want mercy. You want grace. You even want love. But what he's saying, he's saying, Jesus knows. And he calls out the sinner. He examines the sinner. He examines the, our works. He examines our heart. Have you ever thought about it? God calls out the sinner. He exposes the sinner. He, watch this. This is what happens. 
He puts his finger on the sin in our life. Brock, how many do we got? 150. 150. There are 150 hearts here. God puts his finger on 150 hearts. And he puts his finger on your sin. And your sin may be different than anybody else's sin. There may be some people here who who have the sin of unbelief. There may be some people here who have the sin of a bad attitude. There may be some people here who have the sin of pride. There may be some people uh, here who have the sin of arrogance. And he puts his finger, wherever you are, whoever you are, here here it goes. He puts his finger on your sin. And right now, he's putting his finger on that one sin that's standing between you and him. Whether it's unbelief, whether it's pride, whatever it is, he puts his finger on it. And he's calling you to repent. And now, you're in the decision. And now, you're in the decision. Just like Jezebel and all her followers were. I gave them time to repent. The sinner will be exposed. I'll just tell you before I pass that, that his desire is to redeem us. Does he need to redeem you today? Second thing that happens is that the sinner will be exposed and the saints will be embraced. The saints will be embraced. Those of you who have not not abandoned me, look down at verse 25. Hold on. Hold on to what you have. The one who conquers and keeps my works to the end. I'm going to give him everything. I'm going to give him the authority. He's going to rule. How do we know Jesus can do that? Because in Colossians and Ephesians, we were told that God gave everything, put everything under his feet. Hold on because he's coming. If you don't abandon, if you don't let go. You know all the things that he'll give you? All the things he'll give me. And we think in terms of of, of items. You know, if we stay the course, if we trust Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross to redeem us, if we trust him, one day we'll get to heaven, we'll get some crowns. Get some crowns. But you know what, folks? Let me just burst your bubble. You don't get to wear those crowns. The only thing you'll do is take those crowns and lay them at the feet of the one who really earned them. And you'll be ecstatic to do it. Saints will be embraced because of, not because of who they are, but whose they are, who they're following. And finally, the Savior will be exalted. This is a response in this church. When the church gets back and the sinners repent... And the saints come together. Jesus will be center stage. Jesus says, "As Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. God has put everything under the feet of Jesus. And now Jesus, through us, is returning to the Father. And you... And I can be a part of it. Instead of, you see, Jesus wants to present his bride spotless and blameless to the Father. 
He wants to, instead of it being a corrupted church or a compromised church or a confronted church or a careless church, he wants to present us to the Father as a clean church. Cleaned by the washing of the water and the Word. As I conclude, corruption begins in hidden places in our life and even in our fellowship. It begins small, but it doesn't stay small. It grows. It develops until one day it's on display for everybody to see. Get a splinter in your in your hand or your foot or something. Leave it alone, and your body's going to start rejecting it. Just going to start rejecting it. And the way it does that, the white blood cells are going to attack it, and pretty soon you've got swelling, and probably under there you've got, I know this is not a good pulpit word, but it's a good medical word, we got pus. And the only way you get rid of it, I had a, I had a, one on the back of my hand come up in football season. Had to leave practice. Went down there and Dr. Duck deadened it and lanced it. And he didn't just have to get that white stuff out of it. He had to get the head out of it. That's the way corruption is. That's the way corruption is. Paul tells the Ephesians about how it starts. Do you know how all this starts? It's with the fiery darts a Satan being saved salvation is the answer if you've already been saved sanctification is the answer the cure Jesus was clear identify corruption at its source repent from it turn from it and turn to him that's his message for us today let's pray together